Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views. Good morning, Alan. Good, good morning, morning to your listeners. Um, yes, I'm afraid I'd love to be coming with good news, but on most of the topics that you have indicated you want uh, to discuss with me, uh, the news is uniformly bad. I suppose starting with the issue of the expected legislation to be introduced into the Commons today uh, by the Tory government there, uh, which basically seeks to undermine an international agreement. Uh, the protocol, and people, I suppose, you know, don't know the minutiae of these legal uh, terms, yeah. it is the basis on which an agreement uh, has been reached after four years of negotiations between the European Union and the UK uh, on future trade, and particularly the Northern Ireland Protocol, was to settle the thorniest of issues, the most difficult of issues, and that is how to ensure a border-free island of Ireland, uh, which is absolutely an essential to maintain the Good Friday Agreement. At the same time, the decision of the British to withdraw not only from the European Union, hmm. but also from the single market and from the common customs union, which meant that somewhere there had to be some checks on goods transiting uh, from GB uh, into the European Union. Yeah. So can you can you explain it for us? Because I've been going through this sure. um, for nearly an hour this morning mm. trying to fathom it, and it's very hard to understand. Can you simplify it for us? What, in layman's terms, what is it? Well, it's simply this. It's the best possible mechanism after four years of discussion uh, to allow for the hardest of Brexits, which is what the British government wanted and insisted upon, which meant that Britain, as I say, not only left the European Union, but our single market and created a division between their market for goods and services and our market for goods and services. So to protect the integrity of our market and our standards, there has to be checks on mm. goods that enter the Republic of Ireland. Uh, and now, obviously, uh, we have no difficulty with the free movement of goods from, from Great Britain into Northern Ireland, but anything that's going to transit further either uh, into the Republic of Ireland or onwards into the continental Europe have to be checked right. because we have to protect our standards. And I can give you chapter and verse on why that is so critical because sometimes these things are rubbished by the British. Mm. I'm sure it doesn't matter. There'll be nothing really moving into Northern Ireland that will uh, go onward into the Republic of Ireland. Yeah. But it is absolutely essential for our well-being, for Ireland's well-being, uh, that we protect our single market and that all goods and services produced yeah. in the Republic of Ireland have uh, free access to the rest of the single market without checks there. How does it affect something like farming? Because I've heard farming very much high on the agenda this morning. So when it comes to livestock and mm. farming, can you give me an example how... Well, we are part of the single market now. So every farm product that is uh, produced uh, in the Republic of Ireland uh, can go without any checks, without any tariffs uh, across the 27 member states which we can export to Belgium or France or Germany and we do mm. massively mm. export. Remember, uh, food and animal related products uh, last year uh, were worth a billion euros to our economy. Yeah. Sorry, I tell a lie. It's a hundred, 10 billion euros, 10 billion euros to our economy. So that's a hugely important sector. Yeah. But when you compare it to other sectors, for example, the pharmaceutical sector, um, and we are enormous producers 
of pharmaceutical medicines and so on. Mm. And we export, we're the biggest exporter in the planet, 100 billion euros. Uh, so it's an enormously important part uh, of our exports. Right. We have to protect that. So we can't have, for example, either from the agricultural perspective, um, beef coming from Brazil or chicken coming from uh, places where they put hormones into it or uh, where the standards aren't as high, moving into Britain and then transiting into the rest of the single market via the Republic of Ireland. That would just not be acceptable to us. Right, okay. I think that, that explains it because people, and I'm trying to fathom it myself as well, mm. but I, I think that's becoming crystal clear to us uh, too. So now there's been this unmerciful spat mm. that, that seems to be making sending Twitter into the stratosphere this morning between the Foreign Secretary Liz Truss and Simon Coveney. Have you had a chance to listen in as to what's happening there? What is happening there? Well, I know. I mean, I'm Vice Chair of the European Affairs Committee, so we deal with these things. We had direct meetings the week before last with representatives of the British government. Um, I've talked to colleagues in the British Parliament as well. Um, It is just entirely unacceptable for the British government to set aside an internationally negotiated agreement. This is part of international law. And if you have a negotiation that you set in law, one side of a negotiation can say, ah, it's not working for me, I'm going to walk away from it. Mm-hmm. This is just entirely unacceptable. And I think when I discussed this with you previously, I said that the United Kingdom isn't a rogue state. It's the, in my heart, I don't believe they're going to walk away from an international treaty. But that's what they're now saying they're going to do. Mm. And yesterday, uh, Simon Coveney, the foreign minister here, said directly to Liz Truss, do not do this. Now, some have suggested that this is part of Liz Truss's campaign to be leader, yeah. uh, to use the phrase to throw red meat at the hardline Brexiteers within the Tory party. But this is opposed by every other party in uh, the Commons in London. It's opposed by the British Labour Party. It's opposed by the Scottish National Party. It's opposed by some elements even of the Tory party itself. Right. And it is simply pandering uh, to that cohort uh, within the hardline Brexiteers of of the Tory party uh, that is absolutely reckless because ultimately... The European Union will not stand idly by, to use that phrase, if they tear up an agreement. There will be consequences for Britain. And Britain is going through even more damaging economic times than we are, because Brexit has been a disaster. Mm. You know, you listen to the Tories and they dress it up, but Brexit has been an economic disaster. It's cost hundreds of billions, hundreds of millions, rather, uh, to put in an infrastructure in uh, in Britain. Um, It... Uh, it would be absolutely devastating if the agreement that we've reached okay. between the European Union and Britain uh, was to be... So are the next 24 hours crucial then? Well, I don't think so. I think this is part of a bluff game. Mm-hmm. I think that you'll see legislation, but there's no expectation that this legislation will be enacted maybe for a year. Um, I think what, as I say, this is to give some red meat to give some yeah. support now to the hardline Brexiteers that Boris Johnson needs uh, to sustain him after almost losing a vote of no confidence from his own MPs last week. Okay. But it's playing British politics, in fact, a narrow English politics with one of the most important uh, bilateral agreements between right. Ireland and the, and, and the UK. It's very worrying, isn't it? Since the Good Friday Agreement yeah, it's very itself. Worrying. very worrying. It is extremely worrying. Yeah. 
Speaking of which, the other area I'd like to talk to you now about is Ukraine. And we'll hear from uh, Sean Boyce from Friends of Ukraine shortly after 11 this morning. I was speaking to him briefly, uh, and we'll hear from him shortly after 11. Again, they are put to the pin of the collar. I think it's 60,000 euro now, all from donations, has been helped towards trying to... Uh, and he said people coming in uh, for, to Rosler from Ukraine at the moment are extremely stressed, under pressure and in a far worse situation than those came in originally. What's your view of, of where we are with the Ukrainian crisis and the effect it's having on the cost of living is, is crystal clear but on the people of Ukraine again we hear of the attack, uh, Severodonetsk is that they, they pronounce Severodonetsk. it? Severodonetsk yeah. so again we're hearing of more atrocities there so what's your view of what's happening there at the moment? Well there's so many different strands to it. Firstly I commend Sean and his team in Rosslare uh, for the work they're doing uh, and there are thousands of volunteers like them across the country uh, welcoming and looking after the 35,000 Ukrainian refugees yeah. uh, who we welcomed into this country. Um, the first wave, uh, and I was down at the early stages of this, uh, were probably the best equipped. Yeah. Uh, the, the more recent ones, as Sean is attesting to, uh, are more stressed because they have endured more of the shelling, uh, of the dislocation, and probably witnessed things that none of us would like to witness in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, what is happening is unbelievable carnage. It is something that we, we looked at black and white films during the, uh, you know, in our youth looking at the Second World War, but really didn't believe would ever happen again on our continent. Mm. And this savagery is happening. Um, unfortunately, it seems in uh, the last week or so uh, that progress uh, from the Russian attackers is being made in uh, the east of Ukraine, uh, Luhansk, uh, the Donbass region generally, uh, the cities you've mentioned. Uh, now, they, they've abandoned apparently the attacks on the north mm -hmm. uh, and the atrocities uh, that have been uncovered when the Russians have withdrawn uh, are known to us all in Bucha and other places uh, in the vicinity of Kyiv. Um, there is still a, a fear uh, that the ultimate strategy is not only to annex the eastern part of Ukraine, which is the Donbass, but also to extend their control across the southern part of Ukraine, right. uh, along the Black Sea, uh, to the port of Odessa, and to connect into the breakaway area that is now controlled by by Russia in neighboring... So they're making progress, Brendan? The Russians are? They are, uh, by all accounts, um, and... You know, the Ukrainians are fighting themselves. There's no other forces with them. Uh, many countries have given them uh, munitions to fight. Uh, but obviously the resources of one of the largest armies in the world, which Russia has, yeah. uh, will overwhelm them eventually. And that is a, a cause of great worry and great concern. Because most people now doing the analysis believe uh, that Putin uh, yeah. intends... Uh, to annex as much territory and to claim as much victory as he possibly can right. because he wants to set himself up as the new Peter the Great, uh, the, the, you know, the, the reconnector of the lands of Russia. And it is a madness that we haven't seen since Adolf Hitler's day. The effect on the markets, finances, how uh, uh, putting on your, your, your uh, economic hat. Economic hat. Where are we at, and where are we heading? Well, it's again, <laughs> it's all bad news. Um, you saw that uh, inflation now is of the order of eight and potentially nine percent in this country. 
Um, that is affecting every household. Every household is struggling, mm. uh, particularly with the things we can see, putting petrol in our car, diesel in our car, yeah. uh, home heating oil, all the things that have just gone through the roof, not of the order of 8% increases, but of the order of 100% increases in some instances. And that is going to be just unbearable uh, for households up and down the country, particularly as we head into the winter. It's also having an impact on food. Food prices have skyrocketed. Some goods are going to be squeezed. And as we suffer, Mm. there'll be others in other parts of the world, for example, in parts of Africa uh, and in parts of Asia, who will simply uh, go hungry because... So what do we need to do? Uh, do we need to batten down the hatches again, or what do you think? We well, there are a number of things, obviously. Um, Ireland is a, a very developed country. Um, we sometimes don't recognise that. We are among the wealthiest per capita in the, in the world. Uh, we have, and I began to just touch upon it, um, a very um, developed export economy. Uh, we, are, we expect export more per head than virtually any place on the planet. Mm. Uh, so our, I, I talked about pharma, ICT um, is huge, they're huge generators of resources. Mm. They generate most uh, of our corporate taxes, 16 mm. billion we expected this year, and they generate most of our income tax. Okay. Uh, that's why, you know, perversely, when hundreds of thousands of people were laid off uh, during the COVID crisis, the, in the income tax take by the government didn't fall that much because so much so of it... So we have the capacity to tackle it then, have we? We have the capacity yeah. to tackle it if, it's, if the distribution is right. Okay. If we ensure that those who are vulnerable and suffering now uh, are protected. And that means drastic action in support holding prices, uh, supporting uh, those on fixed incomes like social welfare by increasing significantly uh, the income that they have mm. so that we can get through this crisis right. in the same expansionary way as we got through the COVID crisis. Before we conclude, uh, another big talking point at the moment is the delay in getting our campus across the line. So it's my final issue to discuss mm. with you this morning. And I have only a few minutes to discuss it with you, but I'd like to get it back very much on the agenda again. We are aware of the great strides we made in our technological university, but as brought forward by several councillors and the Oireachtas members, they are concerned about the pace and the speed at which our campus is not progressing. Have you an update on that? Or, or where are we? I know it's the one that you said that you would like to see concluded and concluded very quickly but it's moving very slow isn't it? Well it, it's, it's the one issue and I've said this to you I think over years now uh, is the most frustrating issue I have dealt with hmm. uh, in my career in politics. Uh, I, I like to see uh, developments happen and we push them but for some inexplicable reason, although I allocated the money uh, to the Higher Education Authority before I left government uh, that's six years ago we haven't been able to acquire a site, hmm. just a piece of land suitable for, for doing that. Now, three sites have been looked at over those years, and for a variety of reasons, it hasn't happened. Um, I, I think, you know, I'll write my book uh, about the reasons behind that on another day. Hmm. Uh, but whatever the reasons that and the excuses that were used in the past, we need it ha happening now. Uh, I'm what sure do you think is delaying it, Brendan? What, what do you think <coughs> oh, is I think there was, it was crystal clear to me that over the last number of years there wasn't um, an enthusiasm in some quarters to actually provide the base in Wexford uh, for significant capital uh, development. We now have, and I had hoped that we'd have a campus um, site in public ownership by now. We now have the, the, the Southeast Technical University. It's a reality. Hmm. We have a new president of it. We have a new uh, board 
all we need now is to ensure that a, a, a suitable site for the capital investment that is required to build uh, a first-rate campus in Wexford yeah. uh, is provided. Now, I'm assured that the process is in train. Uh, the documentation in terms of the offer has been made to a potential um, site. This is to, a CPO, to, is it? A no. Well, firstly, the uh, what's happened is that an offer, a formal offer has been made. Yeah. Um, uh, a new a response has been received to that offer from the landowner. Uh, that has been evaluated. Uh, obviously, we Is it a positive response? Well, no. Obviously, the, the, it's not a yes... Uh, I, yeah. I, I understand and I'm not involved in the process but I'm trying to poke my head in to see what's happening um, what I understand is that there is a, a, a debate about the price obviously and right. understandably and all this is holding it up isn't it understandably the landowner wants the highest prop, uh, yeah. price he can get but we need to have the land because there will be a significant announcement of capital works for the university generally yeah. there's already significant development in Carlow already significant development in Waterford we once again do not want to be left behind and if we don't have a site we can't have capital development. So we need to set out what we want to build, uh, what faculty we want here, because this will be truly transformative. With the other things that are coming, like uh, offshore wind developments for our county, yeah. uh, with the connectivity that Rossdair now provides uh, because uh, of the, the more frequency of services, mm. I believe that there's an enormous potential to get things right and develop Wexford to its truest potential. We need this brought to a conclusion quickly, don't we? Absolutely, absolutely. The county needs it. And it well, needs it said, and um, Simon Harris, to be fair to him, has promised as soon as he gets it, he will announce it in this show. But yeah, we need to get we need to get uh, the the land acquired. Um, I know that can't be done instantly if there is you know because there has to negotiated a, a price and so on. Um, but we we absolutely must ensure that we don't miss the boat. That when the capital is allocated for the mm. university, that we have a location to start the design, start the build, and so that, you know, the next generation of Wexford people uh, will have full university status uh, in their own county. Wouldn't that be a fantastic thing to think about? Southeast Radio's Morning Mix. Chat, news and your views. Alan Corcoran.